would cause our ears to be open, we could hear what your spirit would have us hear. We thank you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we're going through uh, the book of Ephesians. If you need a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians. The year is 57 AD. Paul had just returned from a three-year missionary trip uh, from Jerusalem. He went all the way out uh, to Ephesus, to Asia Minor. And Paul had spent three long years building up the church in Asia Minor. He had encouraged the Christians there. He had shared the gospel. He had prayed with the leaders, and he had a great heart to see the Greeks and the Romans worship the God that he grew up knowing. But while Paul was away on this missionary trip, he had heard that in Jerusalem there was great persecution happening amongst the Christians in Jerusalem. And on top of that, there was a famine uh, ravishing the city of Jerusalem. And throughout the course of his missionary trips, Paul would always encourage these Greeks, these Romans, these Gentile Christians, remember the church in Jerusalem. Remember the Jewish Christians. Though you have nothing to do with them, though you perhaps despise them because of their Jewishness, remember them. And he did this for a variety of reasons. You see, the churches that Paul started owed a great deal to the church in Jerusalem. The churches that Paul planted, they, they owed everything to the church in Jerusalem. That, that's where Christianity radiated from. After Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came down, and it was there at Jerusalem that the church began. But there's another reason, too. Although Paul's work centered around non-Jewish people, Paul's work centered around Gentiles, Paul knew that the gospel demanded that the Jews and the Gentiles become one. So what he was doing as he's going to all these different churches, asking them for love offering, asking them to pray for their Jerusalem brothers and sisters, it was one little thing he could do to bring unity in the body. It was his heart's desire to see unity between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. It was the year 57, and Paul had just returned back to Jerusalem. He was carrying a love offering from all these Greek and all these Roman Christians to give to the Christians in Jerusalem. And while he was there, he went to the temple, and Paul was accused of bringing a Gentile, in fact, an Ephesian, into the temple. We had talked previously that it was uh, uh, forbidden for a Gentile to go into the temple. It, it wasn't true, though. Paul didn't bring a Gentile into the temple. But he was accused of it. One thing led to another. There was a riot. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was uh, imprisoned. He was accused falsely. And then... When he was finally able to go before the authorities, uh, he, was, um, he, he appealed to Caesar. Paul spent the following two years in prison, neglected, 
because the ruler was hoping to get a bribe out of him. After two years, he eventually made his way to Rome, but on the way there, he got shipwrecked. And, and after getting shipwrecked, as if that wasn't bad enough, he was bitten by a poisonous snake. Well, he survived that somehow. He makes his way back to Rome, back under chains, back next to a guard, where he's finally about to meet his ultimate death. Paul's writing all these things to us in the book of Ephesians. And, and as we look at chapter 3, there's a question that, that just, I think we have to answer. How, how does Paul endure these hardships? Right? Like, how does Paul, here's a servant of God, someone who had this radical encounter with Jesus Christ. He gives up everything. He, he leaves nothing behind. He, he literally goes to the ends of the earth. And he suffers so much. And yet, Paul, Paul's the guy, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. How does somebody do that? How does, how does a man who is falsely accused, who is just trying to help those Jews back in Jerusalem, how does he say, I have not stopped giving thanks for you guys? And later on in chapter 3, the chapter that we'll be looking at, he says, I, I don't want you guys to be discouraged of my sufferings. This is your glory. How does a man who has just undergone all that he has gone through on his way to certain death, how does he maintain this attitude? Because if it were me, I would have a hard time. I mean, I would have a hard time being thankful. I, I would say, look, God, I, I've served you faithfully. I've come to church. I, I, you know, I teach Sunday school. I, I help out with, with the children's ministry. I, I've done all these things. And I, I'm not about the health and wealth prosperity gospel, but surely getting bitten by a snake? Come on, God, you've got to be kidding me, right? And there's just this mentality that, God, you owe me something better than this. I wonder for us here today, how many of us kind of feel that way? We might not say it because it doesn't sound too spiritual, but there's a part of our hearts that wonder, God, I, I served you faithfully, but how come I can't find a job? God, you know, I, I, I live according to your word, and, and, and I'm, I'm trying to do the things that you want me to do, but God, I'm, all my friends are married and I'm still single. God, I, I, I've come to church and, and I, I worship you and I, I give faithfully and, and everybody else is getting their dream children and I'm, I'm barren and everyone else is following their dream passions and I, I seem to be stuck in this dead-end job. God, I've been a faithful follower but my relationships, they're, they're all horrible the romantic ones, the platonic ones, the work ones, the school ones. God, why am I suffering this way? My health has left me. My health has left my friends. It doesn't seem right, does it? So how does somebody like Paul continue on with this attitude of thankfulness? And I think in chapter 3, we'll see a few things that Paul says that, that will give us an insight into his 
mind. Chapter 3 is actually one of, um, I don't know if it's one of my favorite passages, but I have read this over a hundred times. It was a passage that we use in seminary just to really dive deep into this, this beautiful idea of, of studying the Bible. And chapter 3, of especially 1 through 13, is, is in fact a, a very rich passage. And hopefully if you have a time, you too will be able to uh, read through this many times. Paul begins chapter 3 in verse 1, and he says, For this reason I, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And I'm going to pause there. Because if you were to ask an outside observer, as Paul is writing, I could envision Paul as sitting in his house. Now, a prison for Paul was he, he had his own private room that he could rent, so he had to pay for his own prison. It's kind of interesting. But he was chained to a guard, but he could also have a house guest. So it's kind of like house arrest. And so as he's writing... Um, As he's writing, um, you could envision he has this chain to this guard. Um, if you were to ask an outsider, he would say, Paul, uh, I, I think you got it wrong there. You're not technically a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You're technically a prisoner of this guard. Um, you're, you're technically a prisoner of, of Caesar, in fact. Uh, but Paul was not mistaken. In fact, Paul knew very clearly uh, that no matter what situation he was in, it wasn't the situation uh, that, that he found himself in. It was because God had divinely ordained him to be in that situation. He knew that despite all of his suffering, Paul was able to see God's perspective and God's purpose in what was going on in his life. It'd be very easy for Paul to say, yeah, you're right. I don't have my freedom. I can't visit the great city of Rome. I can't go out and do the things I want to do. But Paul knew, I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. I'm really a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And the truth is, we're all a prisoner of something. But Paul knew that what he was doing was divinely appointed by God. And the truth is, if we are able to see God's perspective in our life, it will give us purpose and meaning even in our deepest suffering. There's a famous story of this uh, architect, Sir Christopher Wren. I like him because his name sounds like mine, but he's British. And he, he built the St. Paul's Cathedral. If you ever have a chance in London, you will see the St. Paul's Cathedral. The story goes, uh, Christopher Wren was not uh, very well recognized. The story goes that he asked... <coughs> One day he goes and he sees a, a bricklayer and he says, what are you doing? And the bricklayer says, well, I'm cutting these bricks to a certain size uh, to put into this, this, this um, cathedral. He goes to a second man and he asks him, what are you doing? And the man says, well, I'm earning six pence a day uh, at my work. He goes to a third man and he asks him, what are you doing? And the man paused for a moment. He straightened himself up and says, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build St. Paul's Cathedral, and it's going to be a model for our nation and for the rest of the world. You see, the, the perspective you have and what you're doing, the perspective you have and what life is throwing at you changes everything. If you could see your suffering, if you could see your hardships 
as part of God's plan, somehow for you, it changes our attitude. I'm, I'm stuck at home all day with my kids. It's so frustrating, right? And it changes that you will have a ability to raise up the next generation of believers. Maybe it's my coworkers, my classmates, my neighbors. They're, they're horrible. I, I hate working with them. I, I hate being around them. It changes it to maybe these are the people God has put in my life so that I could share the gospel with. These are the people that God has put in my life so that I could be a light, salt for them. I, well, for Paul, I'm Im- imprisoned unjustly t- by Rome. And it changes him to that. I'm able to share the gospel with governors and kings, soldiers. I've shared the gospel with the entire shipwreck crew. I even had the chance to share the gospel with an indigenous people after getting bitten by a snake. You see, you and I, we've been called by God for a purpose. You and I, we we have a purpose in bringing the good news wherever we go. And when we see our trials through God's perspective, when you make the purpose our primary purpose, when we make God's purpose our primary purpose, we no longer see ourselves imprisoned by our situation, but we see an opportunity to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Truth is, all believers will will suffer, but we can have a thankful spirit when we see our suffering through God's perspective. Paul continues on, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul here reveals a little bit more here. uh, What what Paul is saying, he's saying, well, here's my purpose. I I want you to know my purpose, and I, I want you to know what it is that I am doing. And the second thing I want to highlight is we, if we understand and we live out God's purpose, it, it allows us uh, to endure the hardships a little bit better. Now, the word steward here, it's kind of an interesting word. I don't think we use the word in the same way. It, it actually comes from this Greek word, oikonomia. It comes from two words. Have you, you guys like oikos? I, I thought it was so funny. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the, the actual sermon. But oikos in Greek means house. Or means family, right? So uh, oikos is like, you know, this is, uh, I saw a commercial from them once. It said, this is our family recipe for yogurt. And so, uh, but oikonomia, it's actually the, the Greek word for economy. So all you economists, that's where, it, it means the rule of the house. This is how we manage the house. So when somebody says home economics, it's actually kind of redundant. But oikonomia means managing, administering, or taking care of something. And what Paul's saying is, I was entrusted to manage the gospel. I was entrusted to take care, to make sure that the gospel got portioned out to every single person that I came across. My responsibility was not just to the church in Ephesus. My responsibility is to the entire world, anywhere that I went, whether it's shipwrecked on an island, whether it's chained to guards, whether it's in front of rulers and authorities, my oikonomia is to share the gospel, to steward the grace that has been given to me. And if you read from Acts 21 and following, you will see Paul does exactly that. He stewarded the grace that God had given to him faithfully. And the truth is your purpose and my purpose is also to steward God's grace wherever we go, whatever we're doing whatever situation we're in and sometimes we think well 
I have my Christian friends. I have my church friends, right? And then I have my work friends. And I have my school friends. And I have my neighbor friends. And then I have my hobby friends. And then I have my other friends. And we think, well, in my church friends, you know, we'll pray together. We'll share the Bible together. But when it comes to my work friends, no. We don't do that. When it comes to my my neighbor friends, no. We don't do that. When it comes to the person we meet just, uh, you know, in the grocery store, no. We don't do that. But the truth is, your purpose, my purpose is to share the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. You are called to steward the grace that God has given to you. And we all come across people in variety of situations. Just this past week, some of you guys know we're, we're about to put our dog down next week. It's, it's a really tough emotional time for our family. And Sumiko was at Trader Joe's or at a grocery store this past week. And she was just talking with them. Trader Joe's cashiers are like the best, aren't they? But they were just talking with them. And, uh, or she was talking with her. And, and somehow it came up. And they were just kind of sharing a moment. And, I, and it, it's, it's moments like these where you, you realize God gives us this stewardship. Wherever we go, whatever situation you're in, it doesn't matter if, if you're having a hard time or you're having a great time. God places these relationships in all times so that we could be faithful stewards of the grace that God has given to us. There are people perhaps we never had opportunities to speak with if we weren't going through these hardships. And it's not to say that we're happy as we go through them, but when we frame these trials as opportunities to live out our purpose, to share the gospel, God enables us to endure. God gives us a bigger purpose. The hardship isn't our purpose. The hardship is simply another vehicle for us to steward the grace. Now, you might not be called to reach all the nations as Paul was, but surely this is a command that God has given to us. Go, therefore, make disciples. We've read this many times. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The question is, how can you look at your present circumstance and say, how can I steward the grace that God has given to me? How can I manage and and apportion rightly? Who are the relationships that God has placed in my life? And and I might really despise them. I might really dislike them. I, I might just not get along with them, but how can I be a faithful steward? When we know and when we live out our purpose, we can be grateful and thankful even in the most trying times. And he goes on, and he describes what this gift is. He says, This mystery was made known to me by revelation, uh, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generation, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here's here's the punchline. This mystery is that the Gentiles and our fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We can be thankful when we understand that this mystery, the gospel, is for me. You see, you and I, we are recipients of the gospel. You and I, we're Gentiles. 
we don't think about because we're like 2,000 years removed. But this gospel had nothing to do with you. It wasn't for, you know, anybody who's not Jewish. It was specifically for Jews. And, and all of a sudden, the mystery has been revealed. Nobody knew it. Angels didn't know it. Humans didn't know it. And God says, here it is. The mystery is the whole world, Jews, Chinese, Japanese, the whole world are going to become members of my family. And they're on the same footing. They're on the same level. They get the same benefits. You and I, we've received the greatest gift that we can possibly imagine. It's like this. Imagine if you grew up in an orphanage and, you know, you made, you made good on your life. You worked hard and your whole life you just really, you, you, you excelled. But there's a part of you that, that you always wonder, where, where did I come from, Right? And so you take one of these DNA tests and, and you know, you, the results come back. And, but along with the results, there's this letter that says, you know, uh, when you took this DNA test, we discovered that you're actually uh, a direct descendant of this, you know, rich tycoon. He just passed away and you now inherit his entire wealth. But not just that, all of his descendants want to meet you. They want to welcome you into the family. They're, they knew about you, but they didn't know how to find you. And they want you to be there at their next family reunion. Right? There's this idea that God has blessed us. God has taken us in. God has says, you used to have nothing. You were not a part of any family. You had no hope. You had no promise. There was no future. But now, in Christ Jesus, you are my son and you are my daughter. We are the beneficiaries, and no matter what we may be going through, we remind ourselves, God has brought me into his family. And there is no hardship that we can endure that will overcome the fact that God has sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, that God has forgiven all of my sins for all of eternity, and that I am at peace with God. I think for Paul... The gospel was so central in his life and in his ministry that no matter what he endured, physical, emotional, he was able to remember that he was a son of God Most High. We can endure hardships and trials when we see life through God's perspective, when we know and do what his purpose is in our life, when we understand that we are part of God's rescue plan. We are we are beneficiaries of the gospel. But also, he goes on to say, we can endure the gospel when we know where the power comes from. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. It, it's kind of interesting here because there's a, a couple things I, I want to I wanna highlight. Some of us, um, you know, we're, we're thinking, well, you know, Pastor Dean, uh, I'm not a good evangelist. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what to say. I've never been trained, and, you know, I'm not like, you know, some of these other guys, like Billy Graham. I, I just don't know how to share the gospel. And, and, and you're telling me that I need to go and make disciples of all nations. I can't even make disciples of my children how are you going to ask me to disciple all nations? How are you going to ask me to share the gospel? 
And Paul says, well, it's not you that's doing it primarily. It's by the working of God's power through you that's doing it. It's by the working of God's power that brings a dead person to life. The first thing we need to remember is that the ability to share the gospel comes entirely from God. The language that Paul uses here, this working and this power, we've talked about uh, working before. It's the word we, we actually get energy from to work effectively. It means God is working effectively in you. It is not you that has to convince somebody, hey, here's a better way to live. Hey, here's a way that, you know, um, that God wants you to do. It's God working effectively through you. And the second word, we get the English word dynamite. It's the dunamis, the power, the might, the strength. God is effectively working with power through you. Will you allow him to work through you? See, that, that, that's the trick here. The trick is, it's not me. In fact, you know, even, even, even I, I was, as I was preparing this, I was thinking, oh, dear Lord, how am I going to preach today? Right? Like, yesterday, if you heard me, it, it was just a nightmare. It's like, well, it's the same way. It's the power of God working through us that sustains us. It's the power of God working through us that we're able to make disciples, we're able to share the gospel, that people's lives are changed. It's not how eloquent I am. It's not how persuasive I am. It's not how equipped I am. But it's the power of God at work in me and you. And if you remember that the power is working through you, then it removes some of the obstacles to sharing the good news. Notice what the, the Great Commission says, and this is one part I think that we, we sometimes forget. At the end of this Great Commission, it says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Wherever you go, as you're sharing the good news, as you're making disciples, it's not like God says, okay, Dean, go, figure it out. He said, no, 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 Dean, I'm with you. <laughs> I, I'm never going to leave you. And when you open that mouth of yours, rather than putting your foot in your mouth, I'm going to use my power and I'm going to use my energy and I'm going to work through you. Will you trust me because I'm with you? Jesus says something similar. In Luke's gospel, when, you bring, when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Why? The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You see, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit in each one of us. And the Holy Spirit is prompting us and giving us words to say. And if we will just allow God to work in our lives, all we have to do is be willing to God. This is your word. I believe your word is true. I, I'm going to have to try it out. If I believe it to be true, I, I'm going to try it out. See, God is at work in each one of us. And when we as his followers, administering the grace that God has given to us, when we begin sharing the good news of salvation, when we begin to love people divinely, when we forgive, when we serve, 
when we encourage God's power, God's energy is at work in us. When we live the Christian life, it's God working through us. And don't ever think that God just says, all right, here, figure it out. It's all you now. No, God is always with us. Some of us think, well, who am I to share the good news? My life's a mess. You know, my, my family's a mess. My relationship's a mess. Um, if I share the good news, I might turn people away because they don't want what, you know, my life is. And Paul reminds us that he's the least of all sinners. He actually makes up a word here. He makes up a word here, and he says, I am the least, I am the least of all the saints. Uh, maybe another way to translate is, I'm, I'm leaster than all the saints. Uh, it, it's not a real word, but he, he basically just says, I am smaller. I, I was the enemy of the church. I went around trying to kill everybody, right? I, I, I held the jacket as the first Christian martyr was murdered. I, I have a letter from the high priest that says, you see a Christian, you get to imprison him. Good for you, Paul. I was ashamed of what I did. On the totem pole of saints, I'm way at the bottom. His life before knowing Jesus was all about killing and capturing Christians. And he realizes if it were up to human standards, he would have no chance. But because he knew what a great sinner he was, he also knew what a great God he had. The overwhelming amount of grace that he had received. God's forgiveness covers even his mess. And we need to remember as well, the gospel is more than enough for you and for me. Some of us were handcuffed by shame. And we're handcuffed by guilt. Well, how can I share with these these people know what I've done? Maybe my previous life or even in this life. uh, what, What can I say? We have to remind ourselves the gospel is big enough even for your sins. The grace of God is big enough even for your sins. That if God is able to forgive Paul, God is able to forgive you. And God is able to forgive me. So go share boldly. Go share freely. Make disciples wherever you go. Live the Christian life. And remember that God is with you. And God will power and strengthen and energize you. And God's forgiveness is so great. There's no single part of you that should experience shame. And finally, we can endure trials when we know that we, the church, we are God's eternal plan we are the this body right here this is god's plan from all eternity past and to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery for ages in god who created all things so that through the church the manifold the word here manifold is kind of interesting it means polka dotted it's variegated the multicolored wisdom of god might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. 
God has chosen this church, us as his new man, the new humanity, us as a body of believers to reveal to the world. When people look at this church, they're going to say, huh, that's so weird. We usually hate Jews. We usually hate Greeks. But in that building, the Jews and the Greeks, they're like hanging out. They're eating together. They're praying together. They actually take care of each other. People should look at this building and say, there is something different about the people who go in that building. I don't, I don't know what it is. But there's something supernatural that, that I'm just attracted to. That's God's plan. The plan is for the church to reveal the wisdom, not just for all of humanity, but notice what he says here, is to be made known to the rulers and authorities, where? In the heavenly places. Now, now this is really an interesting uh, verse, and it, I, I don't know how deep we could get into it, but basically what Paul is saying is the church is God's plan to reveal his wisdom, not just to humanity, but to angels as well. That angels did not know what God's plan of salvation was. And as they're longing, as they're peering in and seeing, what is God going to do now that Adam and Eve have sinned? What is God going to do now that all these people are, are wandering in the desert? What is God going to do the church is the vehicle which God will reveal his wisdom to the angels. John Stott says this, it is through the old creation, the universe, that God reveals his glory to humans, but so through the new creation, the church, that he reveals his wisdom to the angels. You and I, there is something supernatural, and we won't get much further into this, but there is something supernatural. Not only is the world watching you right now, not only is the world watching me right now, but those who are in heaven are watching us too, right? The church is not an accidental byproduct. It's not something that God threw in last minute and say, oh, I guess we're going to use the church to save people. The church was God's eternal purpose for his wisdom to be made known so when we live out what it means to be the church, when we live out what it means to be a family, people who have no affinity for one another, people who don't naturally gather together, we are displaying God's eternal purpose. Last week we had the opportunity. There's Tony right in the center. Yay. So happy all the time. Tony has a great smile. But, you know, last week we had this uh, opportunity to have lunch together, and I think uh, I, I'm super excited that we're going to be doing this every month. Because in this one gathering, you see old and young, right? You see people whose English is great and people whose English is not so great, right? You see people who are born overseas and you see people who are born domestically. And they're gathering and they're sharing and they're talking. Some of them are praying for each other. Some of them are encouraging each other. When the church is the church, living out what it means to be the church, we are living out God's eternal purpose. So when hardship comes, when suffering comes, when persecution comes, we may be tempted, perhaps some in Ephesus were, why keep this up? 
Why, 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 why keep on living this life of faith? Because it's so hard. It doesn't seem like it's worth it. Why not just give it all in or, or maybe even just phone it in and, and not really try? Maybe in practical terms, why bother coming to church? Why bother serving? Why bother giving? Why bother encouraging one another? When we are reminded that it is through this church that God had in mind from all eternity to show the world, to show the angels his wisdom, it gives us hope. It gives us endurance. It gives us the ability to press on. So church, will you be the church? Will you share the gospel? Will you make disciples? Will you not allow your trials, your persecutions, your struggles to overwhelm you, to take you off the path you had started? Will you trust that whatever situation you are in, that God is there right there with you and that God will carry you through? Will you be bold and brave, not lose heart? A couple things, and then we're going to go into a time of communion. Do you see your current situation as appointed by God? I think this is a real big challenge for all of us because it's easy to compartmentalize our life. Say, well, work is hard, but that's just work. Family is hard, but that's just family. School is hard, but that's just school. Will you look at all of life and say, God, what is it that you want me to do in this particular situation? How can, be, how can I be uh, a minister of the grace, a steward of the grace that you have given to me? How can you live out God's purpose in your life this week? For some of us, we think, well, that's a Sunday thing. We come to church and we hear the gospel and we study the Bible and then throughout the rest of the week, we're like, I, I don't need to share the gospel. I don't need to make this out. I don't need to encourage. I don't need to forgive. I, that's just on Sundays. That's not true. That's not what it means to be a Christian. How can you live out God's purpose in your life this week? Finally, what obstacles stops you from sharing the good news? For some of us, we really are scared because we don't know what to say. And that's okay. Because God will power and energize you. For some of us, we haven't even fully embraced the gospel for us. We think, you know, I have so much shame. I have so much guilt. How can I share? Well, you know, the gospel is big enough for your sins too. And it's not just for those outside this church. But what obstacles stop you from sharing the good news? What obstacles stop you from living the Christian life? What obstacles stop you from doing the things that God wants you to do. We're going to go into a time of communion now. I'm going to ask the communion ushers to come. We're actually going to, once again, we're going to pass around the elements. We're going to ask you to break into groups of uh, three, and you're going to have to unhook your chairs, but as you pass around the elements, this is another opportunity for us as a church to experience what it means to be a family. In the past, we've taken communion, and communion typically is done privately, and there is a place for that. But we want to experience what does it mean to be a family in terms of just praying for one another, sharing what's on our hearts and in our lives. So as we pass around these elements, I'm going to ask you to take some time and just kind of pray for one another. So you just briefly share, this is how you can pray for me.
And when you finish praying, you could go ahead as a group, take the elements together, okay? So I'm going to read this passage, pray, and then you guys can break up the chairs and the communion ushers will pass out the elements. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let me pray for us, and you guys can break up. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would allow our hearts to be encouraged and emboldened to know that whatever hardships, whatever trials we are going through, like Paul, we could not give up hope. We could continue to praise you and recognize that you are a good God. Even now, as we as a family take this uh, bread and this cup, would you remind us that you have called us your body, your church, the new man, and that you are calling us to be a, a light to the world, to show your wisdom, not just to humanity, but even to those in the heavenly places. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.